And then, like, yeah, like, what, like, oh, sorry, man. I don't know. <laughs> sorry, man. My fucking, my, my mind's gone. <laughs> And welcome to this very special episode of Caged In. We are up to date with Nicolas Cage. There's a pin been put in Caged In because after this, there's no more films until another one is released. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. We've done it. I, well, I've done it. If you've listened along, you, you've somewhat done it as well. But I, I've actually, I've done it. If this is obviously your first time listening, this is a podcast where week by week, I go film by film through the career of Nick Cage to find out if he is a bright, shining, wonderful wonderland of an actor, or if he is a clapped out, run down, past his prime actor who we just need to forget about. On this episode, to help me answer that question, I'm joined by... Battle Royale with Cheese editor and writer Matt Conway. As well as answering that fateful question, I asked Matt, is he a Nick Cage fan? Which was his first and which is his favourite Nick Cage film? Whilst having a deep dive into the Kevin Lewis directed action comedy horror Willy's Wonderland. If you want a little bit more of this conversation, you can always head on over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod to hear me ask Matt three extra questions, which are as followed. Which is the worst Nick Cage film he's ever seen? Which is the flat out best Nick Cage performance? And which living or dead director would he like to see him work with? If you are yet to see willie's wonderland i would very much implore you to support a cinema in the process whilst renting it there's an amazing thing in the uk called modernfilms.com where you can find a cinema that you particularly enjoy or a cinema that you know of and have heard nothing but good things about and you can rent a film through them which helps support them as well as support the film so it's a kind of win-win scenario all of the spoiler warnings do apply for this one. So if you haven't seen the film, please do go watch it. As well as modern films, there's many other ways you can watch it. All the good and evil places that you can rent films. This film is available. So if you're back with us, there's one thing left to do. And that's to get raging with Cage. On this episode, it's time to rage your piggy bank, get loaded up on cans of punch, invite all your friends, and get ready to celebrate as we have fun at Willy's Wonderland. Nicolas Cage stars as the janitor alongside Emily Toster as Liv, Beth Grant as Sheriff Lund in this action horror comedy, written by Geo Parsons and directed by Kevin Lewis. To join me for the festivities, I'm joined by film critic and editor Matt Conway. How are you, Matt? I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm I'm excited to talk about this because this not just only marks a new Nicolas Cage film. For me, in my kind of podcast journey, I finally 
caught up with Nick Cage. Now I'm just kind of playing the waiting game until he releases a new film. So it's, it's exciting times. Um, you got to pop a bottle after the episode. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> get, get one of those ones where they bring it in with like sparklers and stuff like that. Was there? A magnet. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Perfect. Uh, so before we get into talking about Willy's Wonderland, I always ask people at the beginning of these, are you a Nick Cage fan? I love Nicolas Cage. And... Nicolas Cage, he's someone to celebrate because he's a one and original. There's no one who could ever ape what Cage does as an actor, his physicality, his energy, and just the wild places he goes. Like I, any movie he's in, I'm already a little interested in it just because I know no matter what, I'm going to get some Cage. Yeah. So, yeah, you've recently uh, covered, like, well, been to been to Sundance. I'm doing that in air quotes yeah. because obviously it's 2021 and we're not going anywhere. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but obviously you got to see Prisoners of the Ghostland. I don't want to know too much, but like, do we get like a, a cage performance in that film or what kind of cage performance do we get? We definitely get a, a well-utilized cage performance because what I've kind of noticed the last couple of years is directors have gotten really smart on how to utilize Cage's abilities. And here uh, in Prisoner of Ghostland, without giving away too many plot details, he's kind of your Western action hero type. But there's definitely a few moments, uh, very colorfully uh, abstract and bizarre moments where he gets to really let loose. Perfect. Well, yeah, I, I have this theory that like now we're getting a lot of like nick cage fans making nick cage movies so like you've got like prime examples i always like use these two it's like the the two spectrevision directors he's worked with but richard stanley and Panos cosmotos and they both like cite that vampire's kiss is their favorite nick cage film and it's like we're getting we're getting films made by people who kind of like grew up on that or at least had like an interest in like that kind of gonzo stuff he's done and like i don't know i, I guess the people who are who are working with him in this straight to vod fair he does probably fans of like the rock and kind yeah. of con air and face off but i don't know i think there's sometimes people don't know what to do with him and it does seem like very much recently like you said people are really nailing what cage does and how like what, what he does best really as well and it's yes yeah, it's, it's a fantastic sight to see um so do you remember the first nick cage film you saw i have two answers so growing up watching stuff on tv uh the rock was definitely always a mainstay that was on amc probably probably every weekend every sunday at like <laughs> 2 p.m it'd just be the rock on i just tune in and watch a different part but that still is Michael Bay's best movie by far. It's a very kind of taunt, lean, kind of straightforward action movie, but you have three really great stars uh, elevating it. And it's that thing, I always find it crazy that that's one of the two films that Michael Bay has in the Criterion collection. And it's, <laughs> like, it's like, there, there's like massive oversights in like, the representation of like female directors and like uh, people of color and then michael bay's got two films in the criterion collection it's crazy but yeah <laughs> the rock is definitely 
it's probably I don't it's before Michael Bay really went balls to the wall fucking crazy, right? Yeah, it's before he lost himself amongst <laughs> the bombast of explosions everywhere and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So what was the what's the kind of what's the what's the second answer to this question? So the second one, probably the first movie of Cage's resume I saw in theaters, uh, National Treasure. I mean, everyone talks about National Treasure. Uh, I mean, they're very kind of old school, like kind of low rent Indiana Jones in a way. But I think what really made these really preposterous and like silly movies work is just Cage's sincerity to the material. Like when he's saying, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. You believe him because yeah. he believes it. And that's what really makes the movie well, work. Well, there's a weird lineage between those two films as well that you mentioned. Because obviously, he would have like got involved with Jerry Bruckheimer in the 90s. I think like Jerry Bruckheimer was one of the producers on The Rock, perhaps. Yeah, he did a lot of stuff with Michael Bay. And then there's that through line through like jerry brookheimer with that and then eventually it was i think it's jerry brookheimer who produced the national treasure films as well as like sorcerer's apprentice because obviously yeah jerry brookheimer's got this weird thing it's like some action stuff in the 90s and then it's like i'll do i'll produce parts of the caribbean i'll do this stuff for disney and it's national treasures one of them it's uh and i find it's a real shame that we never got to see like a trilogy of like when's that third national treasure film coming it's crazy too because they both movies were huge hits at the time especially for like kind of disney live action it wasn't based off a prior property or anything it really was cage selling those movies to people and i feel like they still have a certain resonance with people today too like people still talk about yeah i think it was like january when disney had that investors day and they were kind of like Oprah Winfrey in it being like, you get a show, you get a show, you get a show, like you get a movie. And I was like, just there in anticipation going like, because it's great for the podcast to be like, they're getting a new national treasure or like they're doing a, they're doing a, a, a 10 part series on Disney plus or whatever. And it's like nothing. And um, I remember, I think it was Deadline, like did an interview with, like one of the producers or a guy at Disney. And they said like the reason that film never like went any further with a sequel is basically it boils down to the fact that it had no like marketability in regards to like merchandise. Like it's like you can't merchandise history. Basically. It's like, that's wild. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But it's like, there's so many things they, they could have done. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I certainly would have a, a plush like Ben Gates or like I don't know some kind of like replica. Um, uh, what is it like Declaration of Independence? That if you leave it in the light or something, it reveals the a map on the back or something like that. And it's like, why couldn't they have? Yeah, like just gone. Do you know what? We make enough money. Like, let's just make these films because they make yeah. money on their own. And people enjoy them. Give the people what they want. I feel like you give me a Nick Cage action figure from that movie and you just hit the button and he says, 
I'm kidnapping the president. I'm stealing their guy. It's just ridiculous, yeah. like declaration lines he made. That'd be great. Yeah, it's uh, kind of like a or like a, a, a Woody style thing with the like the classic ring pull on the <laughs> back, and you get free free cage phrases. It would it would have been great. Was, you could have definitely seen it. Um, like uh, jingle all the way. The Ben Gates are gone at Christmas, and you've got loads of uh, Justin Barfer's character just still on the shelves. You know what I mean? It's like, ah, who really wants Riley? <laughs> so, which is your favourite Nick Cage film? There's a lot to pick from, but which which is the one that really speaks to you? So, as a starring vehicle for Cage, I always kind of gravitate towards Lord of War. Uh, such an underrated movie. Probably Andrew Nichols' last, like, really, really good movie. And I think it was a really intimate and kind of personal look at kind of the crooked kind of trappings of the gun industry. And I really like seeing Cage. I mean, he's his usual dedicated and sincere self, but it's in a more kind of subdued and kind of knowingly kind of unlikable character in points. So it was interesting movie because it does reveal kind of different shadings of his persona in that way. A, a, a fantastic film. And that, like, that, that pairing up of him and Ethan Hawke, even though they don't get much screen time together, like I keep banging the drum that there needs to be a film with those two in. I think like they would work perfectly together. I think like they're kind of, they've got similar similar sensibilities right and that they will kind of do stuff because they want to do it not necessarily like where the money takes you or whatever it's like oh no that seems like a an interesting project for whatever reason it may be um but yeah lord of wars it's like that i think it's that opening just grabs you right by the throat and i i've seen i think about quite a lot it's just that that stop motion uh I always say stop motion time lapse in the middle where you've got all the, the people like stripping the plane. I just love, I just like that. I love, I love that sequence and it's kind of, yeah, the kind of moral ambiguity of Cage's character yeah, and stuff like that is, is, is great. And it's, it's another film where Jared Leto dies, <laughs> right? That's always a plus. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, yeah, there, I was gonna say there's a there's a kind of um there's a running theme in like a lot of especially around that time, Jared Leto dying in movies. Like he gets killed in uh what is it, uh Fight Club. I think there's like yeah, he's, he's not as bad as Sean Bean in a lot American of stuff, Psycho, he gets the axe to the head. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh let's just hope the Justice League he gets killed and then maybe we won't we won't, we won't ever have to see that that joker ever again <laughs> i'm i'm all there for that <laughs> we've got to know a bit about your history of nick cage now let's buckle up and strap in for a wild time at willie's wonder welcome to willie's wonderland spend the night cleaning willie's wonderland I will pay to have your car fixed. Deal? You are officially on staff. Let's get the hell out of here. I can't stand to hear a grown man scream. This place has a dark history. I know the bullshit story they told you. It's a lie. You're here to be a human sacrifice. 
Have you been listening to a word I've been saying? He's gonna die in here, but he won't listen to me. few words. So Matt, what were your first impressions about this film when you first heard it was announced? I was really excited. Uh, I love love the kind of Five Night at Freddy's kind of macabre distortion of these childhood figures. Like it's something really kind of twisted and weird but interesting in a in a kind of an aesthetic and also thematic way, you can kind of observe, you know, the dark deceit under these kind of child-friendly images and worlds. So I thought I was really interested to see this kind of premise utilized uh, on the screen. And especially with Nick Cage being the one smashing the living shit out of the animatronic <laughs> mascots. Like, I thought it, it seemed like a, a, a match made in heaven with a, a wildly unkempt premise with a wildly unkempt star. When did you first become like aware that this film was coming? I'd say end of last year. I started seeing some stills and uh, hearing about kind of the plot details and, you know, anything with Nick Cage. It's like, all right, I'm putting that on my radar. Like, I'm definitely going to catch it out, even if it's, you know, whether it's on the big screen, VOD, whatever, you know. And uh, yeah, I just was really interested by the ways uh, this premise could delineate into kind of slasher B-movie kind of vibes while also doing something kind of different with uh, the ideas at hand. Perfect. Well, would you mind kind of setting up the the premise of this film for anyone, anyone at home who for, for some reason hasn't already watched this? So uh, we're, we're following this kind of quiet loner. He's dr- driving into town and then he drives over a trap and his car is in the shop. He has no money and this town for some reason doesn't have ATMs. Yeah, that isn't uh, suspicious enough. Uh, so it, to pay off his car and the damages, uh, he gets proposed to clean up this condemned building Wally's Wonderland. Uh, you go see inside, it's an absolute shithole. There's stuff everywhere and there's these really creepy looking uh, animatronic creatures just lurking in the background. So we kind of follow this drifter, his mundane kind of task. And then all of a sudden these creatures start coming to life and uh, they're not as friendly as they would look. Uh, They are blood eating, flesh eating, creepy, creepy crawlers. And so as the janitor, uh, he's cage is stuck in there having to fend for his life. And uh, a precocious young uh, member of the town, 
I think her name was Kathy. Uh, she is uh, trying to warn people of this building. She's kind of connecting the dots between its kind of sinister and nefarious history. So uh, eventually these two characters kind of come together and they try to stop Willy's Wonderland from wreaking havoc across the world. I couldn't have, I couldn't have, uh, couldn't have said it better myself. So let's, yeah, let's get into some real nitty gritties of this film um so obviously we open up and we get that as 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 many horror movies do we get that kind of pre-titles like moment of like shit is going down in this place and we come to realize that it's well i think you realize pretty early on that that's Liv's parents right Mm -hmm. like who and and they kind of get offed by these animatronics and then as you said we get cage as this what what did you think of cage's appearance when he first turns up on screen because he's like this uh cowboy boot wearing leather jacket clad guy he's got these like wraparound shades and he says nothing throughout this movie what did you kind of like did you did that excite you when you heard, knew that he'd said nothing or were you kind of like I don't know what I'm going to get here. I love the intro because it, it was definitely this guy you could tell was cooler than cool. He's the type of dude that anyone has an interaction with them. They're like, yeah, this guy's the real deal. And yeah, I, I even loved his outfit. I mean, it, it, it's definitely the kind of thing that could look ridiculous in, in under a certain light if you kind of portrayed it differently. But I thought Cage really had the kind of cool energy to really carry the movie and kind of carry the character without even having to utter much of a word. So I was, I really was uh, compelled by his kind of cool machismo action star kind of presence uh, throughout the film. Yeah. I love the stuff in the script as well. We get it very early on that he's not going to say anything as well. Cause we get that mechanic trying to chat to him and he says to him like, Oh, well, where did you say you're from again? And he's like, like, Cage just kind of like shoots him a look and he's like, Oh, you're one of those n- no talking types. Like, I, I get it. And then I, when I first saw this, I, I, I knew I, I kind of had glimpses that he like, well, had like ideas that he didn't say a lot. But then as I started to realize that he's, he's not going to say anything, I was like, This is perfect, especially like from knowing Cage's history of loving german expressionism films or he loves like the cabinet of dr caligari and stuff like that and it's like he kind of gets to do that kind of all-out acting in this and it's he's kind of he's kind of done it before like well not not so much but like he's always kind of used his whole body to act but it's like this it's like that's all he's got and throughout the film he kind of shoots looks at people and kind of like moves his body in ways and it's like the man the man could go on the rest of his his career not speaking and i'd be like yep i know exactly what you mean at any moment nicholas cage he's always been a very like physical actor he's always been very expressive and he really does have a one in a million like stare when he's staring someone down it's just like oh shit, this guy's for real. Like we got to clear out, you know, like, so I thought it was a great role for him too, to kind of do something different and uh, kind of utilize his strengths in a different way. So what did you make of this 
younger cast, the kind of like the Scooby gang, as it were, who's headed by, uh, yeah, uh, Emily Toster's Liv, as the as he mentioned earlier, the kind of precocious girl about town who wants, who's hell bent on destroying uh, Willy's Wonderland. Like what? Yeah, what? Like what did you think of that gang? Um, I think the young cast does a reasonable job with the roles. They they imbue enough kind of personality into them. I I do think the characters were just a bit too thin. It's kind of like the the retreads, and not only like the Scooby Doo gang, like you said, but also like the slasher movie victims. Like you have the 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 couple that's you know ready to get it on at any point. You have kind of you know the characters who you have a feeling uh, they're not going to be long for this movie. So I, I do think the actors are able to kind of capably, you know, do enough with the part, especially the Emily Tosta who plays Liv. I thought uh, she was definitely the highlight of the group, but I do kind of wish there was a bit more personality or kind of dimension to them to make them a little more compelling. Definitely. And like without looking up the, na- the names of the characters, I'm kind of like, I've got a couple. It's like Liv, Chris, maybe. It's the kind of like shaggy, like uh, re- re- replica. And Bobby and Kathy is the couple. And then there's the guy in the glasses. I feel bad. I genuinely, without looking, I have no idea. <laughs> and then I know that like, and in my head, one of the characters, like, it's like, I weirdly know, yeah, Christian Del Grosso. It's like he plays Aaron. I know, I know his face and his name for him just being like. I think he was like a massive Vine star. Mm-hmm. Like when that, like he was like one of the people to like really benefit from that from from the glory days of Vine. Uh, but like, yeah, there's Dan. I think the yeah the character's name's Dan, who's the guy in glasses. Like. I don't even remember anyone saying that. And it's, I, one of the things they didn't get, I didn't buy some of their like motivations. Like when it gets into the thing of the couple trying to like hook up, it's like, okay, I get you on a hookup, but like throughout the beginning of this, we've established that like there is like some, there's some evil shit going on here. It's like, would you really like jeopardize knowing that stuff? And it's like, I don't know, maybe if we had actually got like a, to know the characters a bit more and been like, Kathy is like this, I don't know, obsessive of like uh, the macabre and like, do you know what I mean? That, that gets her going. It's just all of a sudden, like on a dime, she's like, Oh, this is the room where it all happened, and it's like, really? Yeah. Like, it's like, where's this come from? Yeah, it's that. It's not like you need to give these characters either like an intimate backstory. It's like just the scenes, especially the initial scenes with them, give them chances to kind of show their personality a bit more and mm, kind of yeah. do stuff that isn't so kind of contrived and like de- like steeped into like stereotypes for what you kind of would expect in this movie. You know, uh, the actors do do a capable job, though. I give them credit for sure. Yeah, like that's the thing. Like, I I, I sound like I'm giving yeah the Kathy Ka- Ka- and Bobby a hard time. Like Kaylee Cohen does a perfect job as 
as as Kathy, like kind of like but I just don't know who that character is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like is she is she kind of like bimbo girl or is she like I don't know, is she yeah, she got a bit more going on and like has this kind of like darkness to her. It's like yeah, kind of like I don't know. I don't know what they could have done. They could have they could have made her a goth, and then we'd have been like, "Yeah, I totally, I totally understand it. I totally understand why she's getting turned on by all the macabre." Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. So obviously, yeah, we're introduced to the gang, and then we get introduced to Willie's Wonderland. Uh, Cage gets shown about, and we get this brilliant performance uh tex mcadoo the guy who owns willie's wonderland played by uh rick wright who's like this real sleazy scumbag like got this like mustache and wearing a 10 gallon hat being like hey man you're and he says that brilliant line i think that's littered on all of the promo for this like you're officially on staff oh yeah when he hires them and gives them the shirt yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He he's I'm, the classic like skeezy used car salesman type kind of character. Like Cage is well into actually cleaning Willie's Wonderland, right? Like he's like, I'm actually gonna just clean this place. And we get a we get a glimpse at something that becomes vital in this film when we see him unearth this pinball machine. And from speaking I spoke to the writer of this film and like that pinball machine actually exists. I, I'm excited. I hope, I hope once the world is back in order, that that pinball machine does a tour of the world because I want to. I want to. I, I, I want to cut some shapes and uh, play the Willy's Wonderland pinball machine. I love the ways that he like got into it when he was playing pinball. He was just yeah. shaking the fucking machine back and forth like. That that was definitely a moment too where you felt Cage's kind of expressiveness as an actor because I mean it's playing pinball, getting hyped to a was was that like beer he was drinking or like an energy drink? Like I was trying to figure that out the whole movie. You remember you remember the cans he would pop before the pinball? Yeah, so it's punch. I think it's I think it's an energy drink. I think it's supposed to be like like kind of Red Bull or like Monster <laughs> Energy drink, and it's just this guy who's like hocked like amped up on caffeine just kind of like and i like what what do you think of the kind of premise that like obviously it's like this thing of like he's supposed to be the one in danger but then it's like what happens if you put a man who is more than capable to go against like these this evil and they're the ones who should be scared what do you what do you kind of like is that a refreshing premise to you and yeah and i i think it was a great way of utilizing kind of the persona established early on with the intro scenes like like i said earlier this is a guy just from looking at him you can tell no one wants to mess with them and to see you kind of can tell from the scenes with other characters especially uh the cop uh, everyone else in this town is uh, terrified of Willie's Wonderland. They all go in there and they're like, please, we didn't mean to offend you, Willie. We're so sorry. We're so sorry. But Cage, nah, he's trying to rip some robot heads off and <laughs> take take care of business. So the first <laughs> animatronic death we get is Ozzy the Ostrich. And um, yeah, what do, what do you think of like the kind of the practical suits for the 
for the animatronic. I thought the action in the movie was definitely one of its best uh, attributes. I, I, I give uh, the direction a lot of credit for Kevin Lewis, the director. Uh, he utilized a lot of practical effects and I really liked his kind of dimly lit kind of visual aesthetics. It, it's a movie that felt really seedy and it's as it kind of gets you in this really seedy landscape. And I just love the the darkness blues, like the blackish blue of the blood and just the the effects, the arms being ripped off and just the, the real kind of brutality and like uh, verbosely gory elements. I, I really love that. The movie was shamelessly like a B movie. It was like shamelessly over the top with all the action on screen. Yeah, and it's interesting because Kevin Lewis hasn't directed anything since 2007. So like, and I remember like, because I followed this film for ages. I remember like first hearing about it, maybe like late 2019, early 2020. And like, I followed Kevin Lewis on Twitter and he was like, really cool at just like posting loads of stuff about like films that had inspired him and like stuff he'd made the cast watch and he always saw this film as pale uh yeah pale rider meets killer clowns from outer space and it's like you can definitely you can definitely see like the kind of influence of like a kind of western character in cage's cage's role and you can definitely see that kind of b-movie aesthetic that they're going for and i i i see like an influence from like uh edgar wright in this as well there's like a lot of like especially like when stuff's happening like or like those kind of jump cuts that edgar wright uses it's like what you mentioned earlier about the atm machine there's that thing and it's kind of get like a a whip pan to like all of a sudden like a quick jump cut to like the ATM machine and it's like very much like like those yeah what Edgar Wright has kind of become like known for really right even as far back as uh, Space the TV show did and then Shaun of the Dead when he's got like even someone making a cup of tea and he's just got those like quick jump cuts like and it's yeah it's like I saw influences of that and it's um I don't, yeah, like for for a film that like I I don't know how much to to believe this, but online it states that the budget for this film was ten million. Would you would you would you agree with that, or would you say that this is possibly a lower? But I don't know. I, I does that seem? I give uh, Lewis a lot of credit because personally, as someone who really likes kind of action movies, B-movies, stuff like that. I'd way rather see a director be creative, utilize practical effects, and really mm-hmm. kind of think, like, how am I going to make this happen rather than, oh, just slap in really shitty-looking CGI. Like, that to me is always the laziest way out is, oh, yeah, we could CGI this. Uh, so I do think the movie, at $10 million, that sounds about fair because I bet the uh, some of the world building and kind of uh, set decorations and stuff must have cost a lot of money, but I, I I don't know where I got that from. It's uh, I'm getting here. Sorry, IMDb says five point five million estimated budget, which sounds about this sounds probably more about right, right. Yeah, I'd say that sounds about right. And I give um I give Lewis credit because it's a movie that it doesn't like completely outshine its budget, but it's a movie that's trying to be kind of grimy 
in, in dark in its own way. So like having a smaller budget, I think, if anything, aids kind of creating that aesthetic uh on screen i reckon we're gonna see a lot of like two star maybe like one star reviews for this film like we'll, there'll probably be a lot of like when you look on like stuff like letterbox they'll probably be like well i've already seen like one star reviews but it's like just five nights at freddy's fanboys going like it's five, it's five nights at freddy's rip off and it's like 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 that idea is kind of like it's kind of fair game. It's like Five Nights at Freddy's isn't exactly an original idea. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like a 13-year-old, a like, do you know what I mean? I, I, I've probably had ideas, like, when I was younger, going like, oh, wouldn't it be, like, really crazy if, like, I don't know, you went into, like, an amusement, or, yeah, you went into an amusement park and all the, or, like, you went to Disneyland and all of the, like, characters were evil or something. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's like, it's, it's not, it's not a massive, it's not a massive jump uh, to make. But, yeah, it is a film that is fun. So, yeah, I've, the point I was going to make is we're going to get a lot of people probably, yeah, like, giving this shit. And it's like, it's a film that knows what it is. And it doesn't try to be anything else. It's like, it wants to be a B movie. It wants to have, it wants to just have fun. And it like the 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 biggest case in point of that is like the runtime of this movie is like sub ninety minutes. Like what, like eighty six, eighty seven minutes. It's like you know, you know, at a runtime like that, that the, the filmmakers, everyone involved knows, it's like, we've got one idea, let's just do that really fucking well <laughs> and, like, not mess about. Let's not mess about, let's just, like, bang, in, out, done. Yeah, it's really an airtight movie. Like, there's not a wasted scene kind of in between like there's a couple moments of backstory and plot development but even those moments kind of relish in the b-movie energy and the bloodshed like uh well we'll talk about it, i'm sure like but the backstory and kind of how willie's wonderland uh became this demonic place like even those scenes have some really like violent and like oh my gosh shocking moments uh well let's talk about that now because obviously we get yeah we get lives Liv gives us half the backstory about like I, I wrote down the name of the uh oh, Jerry Roberts Willis, this kind of like pedo murderer. Like yeah, pedophile murderer who like uh and it's got elements from loads of horror movies, right? There's definitely like a through line from yeah. Chucky to this. Yeah, and it's um yeah, it, it gave a, a personal, like a, a, hu a very human and kind of interesting angle into kind of creating this kind of fantasy demonic story as well. So I, I did like that and it, it fit the whole kind of twisted, macabre uh, energy of the movie very well as well. Like one of the things that I think really shines in this film is the score. Like, there's a great score by Imoe, I think his name is, and he's like, there's a mixture of like uses of these weird Willy's Wonderland songs mixed with this kind of like part rock, part like synth-driven score. And we, at one moment, possibly one of my favourite moments in the film is the kind of like pinball dance sequence we get with this almost like hair metal-ish, like, I don't know, like synth pop 
80s, like, we're going down to Willis Wonderland. It's got like that cadence to it. And you've got Cage kind of pulling the best shapes you've ever seen, smacking the pinball machine, spinning around and like... <laughs> Yeah, but like the the score works really well, and there's kind of like what one needle drop in this right at the end with Freebird. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, the, I think the movie in general, like you were touching on, it, it is very kind of '80s retro in a way. It does feel kind of like a B movie pulled from that era, but it doesn't do that in like an obnoxious way like a lot of movies do where it's like oh look the '80s, '80s, '80s neon glowing lights. Like it it, it did it in a very kind of self-assured and kind of like a playful homage type way well it's got very much that feeling of a film that like lives outside of space and time it's like it is its own it is its own universe it's like i don't this could be this could be like what 2019 or or whenever this like what a time yeah in in like this this different world because it's like We've got this weird, like, Western aspect to it, how Cage's character kind of turns up and then at the end just kind of rides on his, like, horse to the next town. And, um, yeah, and it's, like, all of that stuff, it feels like a film, and it, and it feels like a film that, like, when, like, a, a video store was closing down, they go, you know what? I found this tape out in the back. Like, I forgot, like... I, f- I forgot about this. Like, oh, let's put it on. It f- kind of feels like something like you've you've stumbled across that like could have easily have come out in the nineties or something like that. Or like, do you know what I mean? Like the the tail end of the eighties and been like, yeah, this is this is great, and it like tips its hat to those to those films without, like you said, without being like really crass about it. Yeah, and it's like. Yeah, it doesn't stranger things it and go like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> remember the thing? You remember this? Remember this? Yeah, that's what those movies always do. It's just constant references throw them at your face. This seems a lot more self-assured. And like another thing to the point of music as well is the there's great uses of the of like nursery rhymes and stuff like that, whether it's like ring a ring of roses or head, shoulders, knees and toes and stuff like that. It's like I guess part of that on this budget is like, well, they're probably like public domain. Yeah, true. So like, they, like <laughs> we can just use them. But at the same time, like they deliver like a weird, sinister edge. Like because obviously, I don't know. Ring a Ring of Roses has got a pretty like dark history and meaning about what it's about. Anyway, cause it's about the playing. Yeah. But then at least like those songs are, are known for like being a kid being happy and then like kind of put in this context it's like oh no like and it's very much what the whole film is playing to right about that thing of like right i don't i i i don't remember it because i never went to one because obviously i live in the uk but like remember chucky cheese <laughs> but now it's evil right? <laughs> yeah and i i thought um in a in a different way maybe like a different light this film could have done something where it it kind of looks into kind of the more nefarious kind of undertones behind some of these things and kind of how like the, like you said, the character was a like a burner pedophile and stuff and how 
people kind of hide with these cheery faces and then, you know, reveal themselves. So I, I do think there's a kind of an element to that that I think was a, a good inclusion to kind of the horrors of everything going on. Yeah, and it's that thing of like it it knows not to dwell too much on that stuff because it's like it's not like this isn't spotlight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're not kind of trying to trying to like unearth the CD underbelly of like amuse an amusement park chain or something like that. It's like this is very much a B movie, but like well, we can't we can't we kind of need a bit of a backstory. Evil satanic pedophile murderers. Yep, that sounds about right. Like they're that that's about as evil as you can get. They're the bad guys. It really does feel like you put a bunch of evil stuff in a blender and just hit the blend button. They're Satanist, pedophile, you know, murderer, just a, a sprinkle of this on top, you know. <laughs> yeah, and then and then also like and then put in like the most creepiest looking animatronics in the world like yeah what what do you think of like the kind of uh animatronics designs like so who have we got we got what we got willy we got gus the gorilla we got tito the turtle nighty night siren sarah uh cammy the chameleon ozzy the ostrich and ali the alligator right so we got eight of them versus one man the janitor yeah they definitely all had that kind of Chuck E. cheese vibe to yeah. them for sure and it, and it even as a kid those kind of things always creep me out because i mean it's trying to implement obviously a certain liveliness but it's these very stilted kind of false movements and they're, they're kind of movements that are so false and kind of cerebral that they're kind of disconnected from any kind of semblance of humanity like they may be expressing joy but it's so kind of robotic and kind of weird that it's like oh this is kind of creepy and i i think lewis also did a good job with kind of the way he shoots uh each of them you get these kind of intimate like zoom ins like you look right into the soles of their eyes and it's like jesus there's nothing there <laughs> yeah and they've all got like these terrifying voices as well that effects have been put on they're kind of like they all sound like they're breaking as well. They all sound like decrepit and it's like, ah, I'm going to get you. And it's like, it's very like, oh, <laughs> fuck it out. Like, this is the stuff of nightmares. Um, and then like, I don't I think like a moment this, the, I, I guess like, yeah, a moment this slightly falls down with for me is when like the chameleon is trying to like r reason or like persuade chris to like he's like i will tell you the secrets of the other side and it's like i again i don't buy his motivation that might be because i've watched this three times and maybe on the third time it's kind of like i'm looking for nitpick things that are kind of like bug me but it's like i, I maybe it's not supposed to be watched it, it feels like the film is not supposed to be watched three times in three weeks do you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> definitely it's definitely like intended as like a, a perfect midnight kind of movie yeah you know end of the night you know watch it with some friends pop a beer or two you know like it definitely has that kind of vibe where you're just seeing something 
ridiculous that keeps unfolding in its own kind of kind of unique frequency. And um, yeah, like before, I forget that. Like, what did you think of Beth Grant in this film? Oh, as the the sheriff or the cop? Yeah, uh, yeah, she was she was really good, and I think she helped really ground uh, the material and at least some sort of stakes and kind of dramatic urgency, like. She was the one character, I think, out of any of them who sold the inherent fear of the community towards Willy's Wonderland. Like like I mentioned earlier, the scenes where she's inside uh, the building, like she, she the, the carefulness that she implements in talking to Willy and, and stuff and just the fear. Like I thought she was really great. And um, it was kind of like this generic kind of cop role, but I, I really thought she imbued enough kind of personality and presence to make the role kind of work well she gets a great line doesn't she when they realize that like the kids have like gone into willie's wonderland which she says to like her new on the job deputies like strap on your balls we're going to willie's wonderland <laughs> and like you you kind of like get get her character from like scene one she's a bit of a hard ass to live and then like we kind we kind of get a nice arc with her that it's like she took Liv in when she was uh like when she found her at Willie's and stuff like that. And obviously she gives us the the second bit of exposit well, like backstory of, of what happened about Tex opening it and stuff going like stuff going wrong and th- that plan to make a deal with them and basically feed the beasts before they come to the town and feed for themselves and like yeah when it comes to like when it like when i first saw her get killed i was like fuck yeah that's brutal (laughs) yeah the deaths in in general in this movie are very brutal it's almost like it's kind of like a zombie-esque aspect where it's like they're biting at the flesh the arms and all that you know the, the classic kind of zombie scream as they're getting eaten like it really nailed those kind of bloody and just like holy shit this person's getting eaten right now like kind of shocking <laughs> moments talking about deaths what is your favorite uh animatronic kill um hmm, that's a good question i ah hmm. honestly i think the first one was my favorite i i forget the which character it was but, Ozzy the ostrich. Yeah, yeah. I I just loved because uh, you feel Cage's like that's the first time he's really like what like gearing into what's going on and just the I remember that 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 when he killed that animatronic he really got into it like obviously he doesn't say anything but he was the classic ah <laughs> he's like just ripping it to shreds you know like him unleash that kind of. Uh, vivacious kind of energy at it. I, I really like that moment. Yeah, for me, I think it's got to be, it's got to be like Gus, the gorilla, when he like curb stomps him on the urinal. <laughs> and it's just like, that's horrible. Like that is like, he does that. And then there's that brilliant death when he like grabs the alligator's mouth and then just like opens it and like snaps it back and like he's like pulling out like spot like these kind of metallic oily spinal cords as well and i love that (laughs) motif throughout the film that whenever he gets like battered and beaten up and he gets shit all down on his um 
like his his top, he goes back into the storeroom, picks up a new t-shirt and kind of dusts himself <laughs> off, clean, cleans up and like he's got to be one of the best cleaners in the world as well. <laughs> it's was, it was always funny just seeing him in the Willy's Wonderland shirt too. It was just this like very goofy kind of 80s kind of summer job in a way shirt where it's this like kind of goofy logo and everything. And here you got Mr. Cooler Than Cool in the cage and he's just wearing this goofy like fluorescent blue shirt. It's just It's like, oh my God. So how many hours would you say that, yeah, the, the janitor is in at, is at willie's like what 12 hours something like that i'd definitely say it was like an overnight kind of experience so probably i mean the beginning of the film it's still daylight so yeah i would say 12 hours probably sounds accurate how many breaks does he take in a 12 hour shit he takes a lot of breaks doesn't he he's like it's always taking breaks as the janitor he probably, probably took five maybe four or five pinball energy drink slugging breaks in between but you know, he had a big job at hand. He had to take out a demonic army of robotic <laughs> animatronics. <laughs> so let's start to talk about like how this film wraps up. Obviously, we get yeah, we get Willie kill. Uh, we, well, we get we get the kind of we get the gang kind of dispatched pretty quickly, right? We get the the couple having sex in the super happy fun room where all the murders happened back in the day the the chameleon does trick chris into teaching him his secrets before like killing him uh i think we get like that kind of epilepsy inducing sequence where siren sarah and tito turtle take out the the kid the kid in glasses and then we get that brutal moment when the knight just like stabs that kid through the stomach. Yeah, as well. kills him. That part was that yeah. was probably one of my favorite death moments in the movie too, because I was just wild and I was like, oh shit! Like it just ran through. <laughs> the the gore effects in this were definitely were very convincing and uh, very well implemented. So when we come to the end of yeah, as this film kind of gets gets to the end, like the only people left standing are Liv and the janitor. And the janitor comes face to face with Willie. And then we get that we get that first fight sequence, don't we? And then Cage ends up in the ball pit and it's that kind of like, oh, you think the hero's done for. And then we get that like, well, you, like you know of this film. He's not he's not done for. It's like well, we've we've checked the runtime. We've got 10 minutes. We know we're going to be all right. Uh, but yeah, we get that like hand come out of the ball pit. And then um, that kind of final showdown. And I think like to your point of that first, that first like fight sequence, an animatronic kill, the, the rage on his like, when he like goes at Willie, especially the fact that like, he's like ripped his, he's almost like that thing. Yeah. Like you could, you could, you, like take that line from mandy where he's like you ripped my shirt like you could take that because like uh willie like scratches like holes in his shirt and then he's like he really fucking means business and then they go at it and he's he's just you could tell it's 
anger and it's just like exhaustion. Like he's been dealing with all these fucking animatronic killers all night. And this is the last one. And he's just like, thank God it's over. <laughs> like, <laughs> what did you think of the way that this film wraps up and how does it wrap up? I, I love them. So we, we have uh, the janitor, the cage, the drifter. He is leaving. And uh, uh, the skis ball Tex is already there. Uh, the car repair brought him the car. He's ready to drive off because he thought there's no way he made it out of there alive. And then all of a sudden he walks out. He takes his keys. They say, wow, that is one cool dude. And he drives off into the distance and he picks up Liv uh, along the way. And then the two skis ball scumbags who have been running this operation that's been killing all these drifters all across the years. They eat their comeuppance when uh, their car blows up at the end. I, I love that they let them kind of get their comeuppance because obviously the animatronics are like the big villain, but at the end of the day, they're the real ski balls who kind of put Cage in this situation. Yeah, and it's that thing as well, isn't it? It's like, I guess, like not to get too deep here, but it's like, if you turn a blind eye and if you're like, if you're, if, if you're, yeah, if you're involved, it doesn't matter if you're just like how involved you are. If you're turning a blind eye to, to evil shit going on, like you're fucking responsible. Do you know what I mean? And like, yeah. like these guys are very much responsible for deaths of all those people at the hands of those animatronics. Like just cause they're like, I don't know. And it's that thing like, yeah, when they, it's a real, it's a real shame. Like the, we didn't get to watch this film in uh, movie theaters because it just, w it would have been great. Like I could, I could imagine like a packed house on like opening night, seeing that and just kind of everyone just like cheering, like yeah, like I can't wait to see this with hopefully a room full of people who maybe haven't seen it or I don't have seen it loads of times and just just all going in for those big moments yeah it's definitely like the the exclamation point on the story where it's like willie want beating willie was you know the the end of the climax and everything but it's just a great kind of like yeah like crowd pleaser moment to end things on uh i i was interested to see kind of uh the direction they went with live in the janitor where i i don't mean to infer but it's like he's kind of assuming more of like a I don't know. Do you think he was assuming like a fatherly role with her or what did you kind of get out of their, their last scene? Yeah, I got a fatherly, like uh, on first watch, I thought like, oh, is this getting a bit weird? Cause like, he's kind of like motioning, but then like, it like kind of like second guesses you. Cause then like he pulls out a can of the punch. Like, cause it looks like he's motioning for her to like hold his hand or something weird <laughs> like that. And he's like, he, he he's like looking down to the can of punch and then like opens it and gives it to her and yeah i think it's like that i don't think there's any like there's no romantic element to it. it's just like this kind of father yeah father daughter relationship and it's like it leaves it weirdly open-ended that like i don't know it could like there could there could definitely be like a a series of these like janitor versus aliens or like janitor ver do you know what I mean like yeah. kind of just the janitor riding through these uh like b movie tr like different tropes like do you know what I mean he drives onto the set of like 
like a different kind of uh, like a werewolf B movie or like a a vampire B movie or a zombie B movie, and it would just make sense with yeah. that character. Yeah, I could definitely see that, or maybe even like uh, he goes from this Willy's Wonderland kind of little indoor establishment to like a, a theme park or something where there's kind of all sorts of twisted things laying around the the different attractions. Or yeah, there was kind of an interesting kind of open ended. Thing to it and you never know with kind of genre movies like this if they gain a cold audience and like people are really kind of vying for people to see it then it, it definitely could you know who knows a, a pseudo sequel down the line you know well yeah it's, it's a weird one because obviously like there is a five nights at freddy movie in production at the moment uh, i think it's gonna be directed by chris columbus of all people who's like who has said like i think he had like some not yeah slightly like disparaging things to say about it like he was yeah he said like uh it definitely has uh like yeah he said like uh chris columbus pointed out the plot of this film is exactly the same as five nights at freddy's so like like obviously he's probably not happy and probably won't be happy if this film does really well and from like from what I've seen online, like there's just like a real like want for this film, and there's like there's like fans really gunning for it. Like there's tons of like uh, fan art and stuff like that, and there has been for months. And it's like it's not even out. Yeah, and it's it's not like it's like a perfect kind of mixed blending of uh, different kind of genre elements. You have this really kind of high concept and ridiculous premise. And then you have the king of genre movies, Nick Cage. I mean, who else would you rather cast in a movie about destroying animatronic machines? So I feel like that combination of elements is really what has captured people's interest. Yeah. And yeah, I just like, I don't know, like I'm looking forward. I think we're, we're hitting upon a really interesting era in cage's career it's almost like this meta self-aware era like you kind of got it with jeff goldblum a few years ago when he started like in interviews really playing up to the i'm i'm jeff goldblum like like thing when he's doing like weird like asmr videos for vice and stuff like that and it's like we're kind of getting that with cage it's like we've what we've got we've got this we've got the massive weight of uh the unbearable weight of massive talent we've got like from from what i can gather like maybe you can you can obviously speak more onto this but like prisoners of the ghost land seems like a film that like yeah from the description you gave it's like oh it's borrowing and stuff around like it's borrowing from these different genres and he's He's working with a, a kind of director who's willing to go out there and stuff like that. And it's, I'm just excited. And then not even mentioning the fact that he's playing Joe Exotic at some point as well <laughs> in a TV series. It's like, it's like we have really, we, we have, we have broken part. We, yeah, we're over the rainbow and God knows where the fuck we are anymore with Nicolas Cage. And I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely exciting that like, you know, early in the the 2010s when he started really kind of pumping out the VOD movies, you're like, oh, is this really going to be like Nick Cage's the rest of his career? Is he going to be in these movies like no one sees? Kind of like how Bruce Willis is now. He's always just 
pumping out the VOD action movies. But I think he's been really smart to kind of gravitate towards directors that have more of a perspective on what they want to do with the movie. It's not just a movie that's made to be a product. It's a movie that has, you know, an interesting kind of creative element. And I, I like that he's really kind of embraced that and let these directors kind of use his persona to do different things and also kind of build upon what his persona has been through all these years. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's it's I think his yeah, like this era more more so. I don't know. I'm just excited. Like maybe because now I'm in the unknown of where Cage is going next. Because for so long I've like I've been like for the, for like the last three years I've been kind of like going oh now I'm coming up to straight to VOD era. But now it's like I'm out in the woods, and it's like and there's like stuff he's got like yeah stuff he's got slated. So uh, there's a film called Pig probably like one of the ones we haven't talked about that like for what i know has been finished for for like at least a year like i think it like so that like willie's wonderland i think like just made it under the wire before like the pandemic hit it's like one of the last productions in like atlanta and it was like boom like we got it finished but like pig i'm pretty sure i've seen like images of him and alex wolf like from the set of that like knocking about on the internet for at least the last year and a half and it's like where is this film and it's like that premise is crazy it's like it's a truffle hunter whose pig gets stolen and he wants to get it back and it's like is this cage's john wick with a pig (laughs) i sure hope it is that would be That'd be crazy. And I, I, um, I'm really excited for that movie because I saw um, Neon, who uh, distributed Parasite, uh, picked it up. So I think it's a movie that is going to have those kind of genre elements, but will have a bit more kind of stakes than maybe something like Willy Wonderland that's more of like a B movie. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, I'm kind of very interested, especially like, I know like it's weird to put a lot of weight in like this like distributors but like i guess it's like why we now live in the world where it's like we have like a24 bros where it's like anything that they release people like bust a nut over <laughs> and it but it's like like when you see someone like yeah neon pick up a film it's like oh that, that like that does feel like a, a kind of seal of approval it's like what last year they released or in the states at least they released possessor which was like possibly like one of the most like uh i don't know like you know you're get you know you're getting something visually interesting or like you're getting something interesting and unique from a director and it it feels like pig is that and i know that cage has said like it's got some serious tones to it as well and i, I just like yeah I, I don't know what it's what it's gonna be and that one that one i think i think it's the thing because it's the, the one we know least about you know what i mean and it's like i think uh, like you know the unbearable weight of massive talent from knowing like the rest of the cast it's like oh it's it's an action comedy and it's like willie's wonderland it's like from the kind of promo stuff and just reading the imdb entry before it came out it's like that's a b movie but it's and yeah uh uh 
prisoners of the ghost land. It's like, well, it's a Sion Sono movie. It's like, yeah. <laughs> but it's like Pig. It's like, I just don't know. It's like, it's got, it's got Alex Wolf. This would have maybe been like, yeah, like it's post, post hereditary. Like he could do anything. And it's like Cage could do anything do you know what I mean at the, you never know it's, it's a, it's a yeah. roll of the dice I, I, yeah and it's really exciting that he's Cage has really re- reached this point where I mean he's doing these kind of wild movies but it's not like they're being kind of pushed away by critics like I feel like critics are starting to really embrace kind of what Cage is involved to being and yeah it's nice that he's getting to enjoy kind of critical and you know, financial success via kind of VOD kind of yeah. platforms and stuff like that. So, Matt, as we start to wrap things up, I always ask three questions at the end of these, which is, first of all, does Nick Cage have bad hair in this movie? I'll give Nick credit. It wasn't It wasn't distractingly bad. Like, you could tell he's kind of balding <laughs> a little, but anytime I think of Nick Cage and bad hair, like, my brain instantly travels to like 2007, 2008 Nick Cage and like next in like Bangkok Dangerous when he had like the the bird around his head or whatever. The He had the mm-hmm. wildest fucking hairstyle ever. So it, it wasn't distractingly bad. Yeah, he's definitely like he's had plugs recently or something because his, his hairline has kind of like, especially if you watch uh, History of Swear Words, it's like it's kind of like gone like, <laughs> It's kind of got it's come forward a bit. Um, uh, and the second question is, well, this one kind of feels quite yeah, redundant because does he do a crazy voice? Like, well, no, not really. He he doesn't speak, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's move on to the third one again. The answer to this might be very clear from everything we've said about this film, but. Do we get a Nicolas Cage freak out in this? I film? mean, I'd say anytime he's bashing the living shit out of an animatronic, we get some freakouts. And I would definitely say the pinball scenes. I mean, it wasn't like a freakout, but you're getting Cage unleashing that energy he has and doing his thing. And oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, he's like ramping up on like a steady like seven on the Cage scale throughout this film, right? And it's like even like. Even in the quiet moments, he's kind of, especially because he's like, he's acting with his body and like his eyes and stuff like that. Like, he's kind of like, I don't know, he's, he seems like he's on the edge of a freak out at any moment. Amazing. Well, Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you about this film. Um, where can people keep up to date with everything you do, whether it's writing and, uh, yeah, where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Conway, uh, Con, K-H-A-N, like uh, the Star Trek uh, creature. <laughs> uh, you can also see my written content and uh, my staff's written content at BowRailWithCheese.com, where I write reviews and edit as well. Amazing. Again, thank you so much for coming and raging with Cage with me. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I had a blast. There we have it. Thank you once again to Matt Conway for joining me on this very special episode of the podcast. And very much thank you to all of you. If you have listened from episode one to what? Episode 90. 
two that this might be now, as well as all of the bonus stuff and special episodes and interviews and stuff like that. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this conversation about Willy's Wonderland and want a little bit more about the backstory of it, if you haven't already, go listen to last Friday's episode where I spoke to Geo Parsons, the the madman behind Willy's Wonderland, the guy who wrote the film. He, yeah, was so kind to give up some of his time and kind of tell me about where this idea came from. Is it a Five Nights at Freddy's ripoff? And where could it possibly go in the future if the appetite is there for it from the audience? Obviously, I'm aware that this film is very much going to split people. You're either going to get it or you're not. And there's no shame in which way you fall down the line. However, I would like to further this conversation. So please do follow me on social media at CajunPod on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And let's have a chat about it. Did you enjoy it? Did you hate it? Let me know. If you really want to have this conversation behind closed doors, as it were, head on over to cagedinpod at gmail.com and fling me an email. I will very much look forward to hearing from you and I'll, I'll, I'll reply as soon as I read it. I'll, I'll, I'll sit there, I'll really think out my answer and go, nah, you're wrong. <laughs> of course, I won't do that. I will, I will just engage you in conversation. I think that's what's so exciting about this podcast and doing all of this. And genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, thank you to everyone who's ever guested on the podcast, who's ever kind of supported in any way, whether that is financially, which you still can do, because as much as like the podcast is taking a hiatus and we're up to date with the the caged in stuff there's still going to be stuff on the on the back burner going on in the background and i know what i'm like I, I probably won't stay stay away for too long however this is a perfect time more than ever to announce that coppola connections will be starting on april 7th francis ford coppola's birthday happened to perfectly fall on a wednesday this year so the first episode i will be joined by rich nelson of betamax video club to talk about francis ford coppola's 1974 film the conversation in the interim whilst the podcast is on hiatus there will be a kind of episode zero of Coppola Connections that will kind of go into the family tree and kind of let you guys know who and why I will be covering all of the people I will be covering as well as how they are all related instead of like you having to do any background reading I'll just tell you okay yeah there's a I, I, yeah it's 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 gonna it's, it's a bit of fun to kind of like set the backdrop for and set the stall out of what the podcast is kind of gonna be about obviously it's gonna be very much the same i'm gonna be the same idiot talking about films however there's some slight tweaks and twists here and there as well as yeah there's still gonna be plenty of cage conversation i've recorded a couple in the bank and he is mentioned as well as a lot of the uh patreon 
exclusive stuff for each episode will be very cage centric i know that sounds like really bad like well if you're a nicholas cage fan get behind the paywall but i can't like i've done over 100 episodes talking about nick cage you can go back and re-listen to those you can pick up some of the ones that you haven't heard i'm not stopping you from doing that i just can't do any more nick cage films because there aren't any until the crudes prisoners of ghostland the unbearable weight of massive talent pig any of those are released i'll be back nick cage films will very much i can't i can't i can't i can't give you any more guys if 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 this is you bowing out because it's not cage centric all the time then it's been lovely having you along for the ride and i guess i'll catch you if you have enjoyed the podcast please do head on over to apple podcast acast google play wherever you listen to your podcast and give it a five star rating and review i know that every podcast says this and they kind of whip that flog that dead horse to kind of like over and over and over again but it really does help more people hear it well guys i've been petrus pat syllabus i've been caged in you've been amazing bye This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Droop Town Limery Main, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.